0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 284, The Band Geek, recorded May 7th, 2017, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only place on the internet where geeks rant. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth the Gooey Can Anderson and Miles the Aussie Engineer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. I'm forced to speak at last.
1: <laughs> and i'm stuck in a freaking
2: dust storm in phoenix
0: <laughs> oh um no dust here but lots of rain lots of storm just no dust um I, I just uh just little inside baseball here we are we have just recorded uh the interview that you're about to hear um so that's why seth he's, says he's forced to speak because we were talking about music and um i i was reminded of that far side comic where the guy was talking to his dog Fido, and all the dog heard was blah 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 Fido, blah 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 Fido, blah 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 Fido. I imagine Seth going blah 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 blah. blah. Seth, what do you think?
1: I heard music.
0: It sounded good. So miles and I had a lot of fun with the interview you're about to hear with uh with Richie Castellano, the guitarist uh the rhythm guitarist of uh blue oyster cult so we're super excited to to have him uh, with you and you'll hear that uh, a little bit uh, on but first we have to talk about the mindless stuff that we like to like to talk about and I just saw yesterday uh the arrival uh amy adams uh Hawkeye can't remember his real name um,
1: uh, Jeremy and, uh, something right
0: yeah jeremy Renner that's it yeah. Um, I still don't know if I liked it 24 hours later. I'm still not sure. Um, it was, it was kind of Stanley Kubrick ish. It was just odd, just odd all the way around. Um, I can't really say you should go see it, but I don't think you'll regret it if you do.
1: Yeah. I talked about this, uh, a couple months ago maybe i really i enjoyed it i thought it was really good but you know i i would enjoy amy adams doing pretty much anything so yeah um but it was but i it was a good movie and it wasn't just you know i think i saw it not too long after the um fan film independence day sequel and um it was just so bad that this movie (laughs) made it seem so much more awesome oh hey um Speaking of, I have seen, okay, you know, there was Battleship, the Hasbro movie. Yes. Well, there was a, of course, you know, the Asylum came out with American Warship. Somebody went to the premiere and said, hey, we can do that tomorrow. And so they, and you know, of course, cheesy special effects, uh, actors not, you know, not up to this, but I got to say, I think the film was better. Now the dialogue inside Couldn't compare because, you know, they didn't have but 10 minutes to do the dialogue. (laughs) But I got to say, I think that movie, American Warships, now, not in production value, but just if you sit back and watch them both, I think, I wish American Warships would have had the big budget and Battleship would have had the little budget because I think they would have been a lot better. So, uh, I think it would have made both movies better if they could have switched out. So,
3: all right.
2: I'm just waiting for him to do a movie on shoots and ladders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't. I was trying to think of a clever tagline. I can't come up with it. Uh, <laughs> not the cherries. Um. Uh. And and just a. a this is a first. Slides time. and
1: stools would be the asylum version. There you go. So there you
0: go. This is the first time ever uh I had a negative Craigslist experience. I just, you know, I've been so positive about Craigslist. I uh, uh a guy had, you know, I I told Miles and Seth that uh, we recorded uh, pre-recorded a show yesterday i said that today i was going to go pick, be picking up some outdoor furniture uh from a guy there I, i've mentioned here on the show that we were um looking to uh to get some outdoor furniture and so i was talking with the guy and and we, we had settled on a price and he was like I, I want you to send me a picture of your driver's license since you're coming to my home so i can you know know you want to see i thought well that's an odd thing but i, I snapped a picture and and blurred out everything but my uh my picture so you know and my name so he didn't have my driver's license number and all that Uh, and um and then i was all ready to go and i was going to go after church today i had some friends lined up it was more stuff that i could put in in one truck so i had two trucks and a couple of guys and then uh we're about ready to head out and he sends me a text says yeah i already sold it sorry Uh, 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 what and he
1: was he was going for the identity theft with the driver's license he probably never had it.
0: Maybe I don't know. Uh, oh, I mean, what the driver's license is a fairly public piece of information, and I considered that. I mean, what what information could he get off of that that isn't already public knowledge that that a fifty dollars Freedom of Information Act at the courthouse couldn't give him?
1: Well, it's fifty dollars versus getting what, it for
2: free. Yeah, but why would you need it? I mean, you're paying the guy cash.
0: Well, it was just you know I don't want some some sketchy guy coming to my house. I want to see that you're you know uh see you coming i guess but that's the way I took it he was he was just looking at us as, as a security thing okay. okay uh because you know it was some fairly expensive stuff, so I assumed he was in a fairly expensive neighborhood and uh you know uh you know i i didn't I thought it was an odd request, but it didn't immediately make me uh think this guy's a crook, but I sent him I did take the time to pour out all the other information.
2: Mm-hmm. Well done.
0: Um, so anyway, uh, Craigslist. I mean, it's it's not like he uh, killed me or anything. It wasn't uh, a super negative experience, but it was my first time uh, so far. I've had really stellar Craigslist Craigslist experiences all around. So just yeah. thought I'd share that with you.
1: Yeah. I bought a um, an SSD hard drive that's redundant. I know, but off of <laughs> Craigslist, and I didn't take a laptop to check it out. And of course, it was dead when I got home. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, you I know. Mean, okay, if I ever buy computer equipment, I'm taking, like, a generator <laughs> and a case and say, uh, we're going to test this thing out first.
0: Well, you don't need a generator, you just need a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, Seth, you had a, a much different experience yesterday that I hope was much more positive than my Craigslist experience.
1: Yes, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, um, Volume 2, I went and I saw it, and... Okay, only in comparison to the first one, it wasn't good, but it was a good movie. So they didn't like tread the depths of uh, you know Avengers' brief appearance of Ultron or any of the other Iron Man movies. But um, it was a good, it was a good, solid Marvel movie. It, it did. I mean, I don't know that they could recapture the genius of the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but it was, it was good. I did not like how they did There's five scenes. If you go, you have to say there's five scenes interspersed throughout the credits, but it's like in all the other movies, the scenes are kind of teasing something that's going to come later. These were scenes that like, were just the ending, you know, scenes about the movie. So in that sense, I kind of didn't like them, but I mean, they were funny and they were good, but it was like they were to extend the movie rather than build the universe. So, but it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. You know, it lots of fun stuff in it. Uh, there's lots of action, you know, good screen. I saw it 3d, um, just why not? And, uh, very, very enjoyable experience um i'm glad i saw it in 3d it was just it was a good movie but like i say only in comparison to the first one i would say it's not good so that's
0: the first even remotely negative review i've heard of that movie everybody else i've talked to has said that it's great it's even better than the first one so that's that's interesting i mean i don't know to me
1: to me it wasn't as good as the first one but you know that's just i liked the interplay of the character's it just, it didn't seem to, it was good. It just wasn't as good as the first one for me.
0: All right. And then, of course, Miles is all about documentaries. I, I <laughs> On his recommendation, I watched the uh, Silicon Cowboys uh, documentary on Netflix, uh, the story of Compaq uh, in Houston. I, you know, I knew most of that. I grew up around that. I was from Texas in that time. Um, there wasn't a lot of new information there, but it was, you uh, uh, it was presented in a way that was educational. And my uh, uh, 13-year-old, almost 13-year-old, uh, did sit down with me and, and was interested in it for a few minutes. So in that sense of, you know, historical, uh, taking something historical and making it at least vaguely interesting to a 13-year-old, it was good in that regard. <laughs> uh, but you saw yet another documentary, Miles.
2: Yeah, I saw Risk, the uh, Julian Assange documentary. And it's only it only came out on Friday, and it's only been in kind of boutique art theaters around the place. It's not out for general release yet, from what I understand. Um but I saw it and um it's weird. I you know, I my head is spinning around and around on this whole Julian Assange thing. Because the guys from where I come from and we kind of I don't we didn't hang in the same circles or anything, but you know, I, I understand where he came from. I understand what the computer clubs were like in Melbourne where he kind of grew up because I was in Adelaide where where I grew up. And I understand that his nature, I understand his, his the hacker mentality and all that sort of thing. And I don't hold anybody to blame for that. Um, I think that, he took an enormous risk unto himself by deciding that he wanted to create something he could save the world and make transparent information and everything. And this movie um, is a Laura Poitras movie. Uh, She's the uh, lady who did Citizen Four on the Edward Snowden thing and it's done very much in the same way it's like she's in the room with him and the movie tracks from somewhere around about 2008 i think it is maybe a little later um footage that she was catching being involved with that group all through the uk i'm sorry, maybe it's 2010 something like that um all the way through to present day and it's fascinating to see the footage Of what's going on behind the scenes with this guy, you know, where he's in uh, the start of the movie, it starts him off where he's in the um, he's in a place in Norfolk, England, where he's been kind of committed to house arrest, if you like. And then they're fighting against extradition and and all that sort of stuff. And then eventually he escapes into the Ecuadorian embassy. And it's all the footage covers the whole thing. Um, So as a as a historical movie, it's brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant it does not in any way attempt to try to promote or not promote his cause it's very good in that it doesn't do that but you walk away from it wondering whether or not you thought you used to like what the guy did and then you didn't like what the guy did and now you don't know what you like or you don't like anymore what's up what's down who knows but it was a good movie. So, yeah, I'd say watch it. When it eventually comes out in general circulation, it's worth seeing.
0: All right. I, I, Julian Assange, uh, in my uh, mind, is like any other vigilante. Um, he did a good thing in an illegal way. And I am, I'm anti-vigilante uh, for that very reason. You, uh, you can't uh, s- suborn... Uh, or, or that's not the right word. You can't, uh, you can't ditch uh, law and decency in the name of law and decency. Um, and I, and I, I, we've had this discussion before. Uh, I am definitely in the uh, um, uh, minority in believing that. But I just, I just think that there's a proper way to do things. And and th- he didn't do it. Edward Snowden, the same thing. So um, I, I appreciate the fact that they seem, at least from your point of view, took a, a neutral approach to that.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think
0: so. I think good documentary should do that. Just report the facts. Don't try to don't try to uh, you know, add context, just tell the story.
1: Right. That's why you think uh, Michael Moore is such a great movie maker, right?
0: Well, Michael Moore doesn't tell the story exactly right. He tells <laughs> he 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 starts with a story and then applies film footage. So, yeah, exactly. He's the exact opposite of what I like. Um I I I feel like Michael Moore's films are right up there with uh, you know, Big Brother and The Bachelor, um. <laughs> um, and then you—I—I uh, I, I have not seen anything other than the original Fargo movie. Um, so I don't know anything about season one, but apparently, Miles season two is doing well.
2: No, season three. Season three. Uh, okay. Yeah, it—it it is. I, I got to say, it's a golden age right now in television. Um, some of my favorite shows are out, and they're outstanding like i i love that better call soul show if you guys ever watch breaking bad this is kind of the spin-off from that um phenomenal storytelling um but then i stumbled upon the first season of the cohen is it the cohen brothers no I'm, I'm gonna get flamed on this one um anyway whoever put fargo together originally the, the movie um they put together a i think a six episode Uh, TV series on FX, got some phenomenal actors involved in it. Uh, Martin Freeman, uh, the guy who played the Hobbit uh, and played uh, Bilbo in the Hobbit and amongst other amazing things. He's on Sherlock. He was in it. Um, Billy Bob Thornton is the villain in it and amazing acting. Some of the best I've seen in years. Uh, But the first season of Fargo was phenomenal. Uh, you know, cinematography, great storytelling, the whole bit, but very, very, very violent. I mean, really violent. And I, it was not too violent where I could not watch it, but there was always that aspect to it. Um, but it was amazing television experience. And then the season two came out, and season two was uber violent. I mean, from episode one, it was blood on the walls and the whole bit and it and i just could not get in i could not get past episode one even though i love the previous series i couldn't get past episode one so then episode uh, series three comes out so my immediate thought is i'm going cautiously into this because if this thing is over the top stupid violent the whole bit they've sold themselves out for shock value I'm not going to be past episode one. Well, they've done three episodes so far, and I've got to tell you, I am so hooked on this thing. It is the coolest storytelling, uh, apparently a true story. It's got um, uh, Ewan McGregor is acting in it, but he plays two characters, uh, which is phenomenal, and they are completely opposite characters. I mean- it, if you were to ever challenge an actor to really come up and do their thing, this was the canvas he needed to be painted on. And he has risen to the challenge. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's on FX. Uh, but check it out. Fargo, the third series. You do not need to have watched the previous ones. Because okay. what, they, what they do is they just take a, a bizarre criminal murder story- that is just ridiculously weird, and they turn it into Hollywood, and they do a beautiful job at it.
1: So, are there are the any characters the same, or is it a whole new set each one?
2: Whole new set, whole new place, okay. whole
1: new actors. Everything's brand new. It's like a totally new
2: story. And if I, um, I might be, I know, I think I'm right in saying this. Um, the crew that did Legion, that I know you watched, Mark. Yes. They did this as well.
0: Oh well, that sold me on it right there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so you might be uh, you might be interested in this one, <laughs> although right. it's not not that much comic book stuff
0: in it. Right? <laughs> no, I, you know what I thought about Legion was it was a good story, in spite of the fact that it was in the Marvel Marvel universe. Uh, that actually, if anything, took away from it. Um, mm. But anyway, um, I, there's something I just wanted to mention in in the. Um, it's got a lot of potential, but it hasn't used it yet category. Uh, I think it's on NBC, uh, powerless. Um, it's, it's in the DC universe. Uh, and it's, um, it's Wayne Corp, but not Bruce Wayne. It's, uh, Bruce Wayne's cousin, um, running, uh, uh, Wayne Corp. And I'm blanking on, on the character's name. But anyway, um, the, this, this version of Wayne Corp sells, um, uh, superhero survival stuff. Like the rubble poncho, when superheroes are fighting and rubble falls on you, you need to be able to pull out the rubble poncho to protect yourself. Uh, or when Doctor Psycho gases the entire city, pull out your Wayne Corp gas mask and continue on with your day. And uh, it, like I said, the 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 premise is brilliant, and it's got one of my favorite actors ever in it, Alan Tudyk, uh, who was Wash uh, from um, Oh Yeah Firefly, uh, who's been. Uh, you know, he was uh, in First Night. He was in uh, the voice of every character you've ever liked in any animated movie was probably Alan Tudyk. Um, and he uh, really is the only reason I'm still watching it <laughs> uh, because I keep waiting for it to get good. It's, you know, it started bad. And it got a little better and now it's up to okay. Uh, so maybe it's going to get better, but it's on, uh, I think it's NBC. Uh, I think they're eight episodes in now. Um, so it's it's worth checking out uh just for the the camp factor it's got uh vanessa hudgens uh uh, who you may or may not know from high school musical if you grew up in my household there was a few years there where everything was high school musical uh she was gabriella uh and they do let her sing once in a while uh but it's uh it's a it's a fun um potential thing that just hasn't quite lived up to the potential so uh seth i really think you might like it a lot
1: I probably would. There was a uh, a comic book years ago set in the Marvel Universe, and it was called Damage Control. And they were the people who rebuilt after all the superhero battles. And it was like a little mini series, And it was hilarious because it was just like it was like a, con- a construction company and cleanup company that um, anyway, it was funny. But it was like this and I really loved it. So I would probably like it. Yeah. Uh, so
0: the first episode of, of Powerless, Vanessa Hudgens is um, New Girl in the Big City. Uh, I forget the name of the city, uh, but they're she's she's going into the city riding in the subway first day at, uh, at the new job right out of college and uh, her train gets attacked by a supervillain, and she's like isn't that amazing and then a superhero comes in and and she's watching the battle out the window everybody else in the subway is like reading their newspaper and watching them filing their nails it's like yeah this happens every day and and she <laughs> she actually looks at the window and says this doesn't happen every day I, I can't believe you're not watching this no it does every day uh, <laughs> So, like I said, lots of potential there. I just hope it lives up to it. Cool. And uh, I'm not going to do any uh, um, listener feedback uh, this week or tech news because um, we're already uh, running a little long for uh, what's about an hour interview uh, with Richie. Uh, So, Seth, uh, go ahead and tell us now what happened this week in history
1: all right mark since you asked so politely on may the 7th 1954 the ibm 704 was introduced ibm announces the ibm 704 data processing system the world's first mass-produced computer to feature floating point arithmetic hardware besides this ultra geeky distinction the ibm 704 will leave its mark in computer history before it is discontinued on april 7th 1960 both 1960 both fortran and lisp programming languages were first developed for the ibm 704 as well as the first music application music physicist john larry kelly jr of bell labs will synthesize speech for the first time in history on an ibm 704 not bad for a nameframe. and as a show note this is the second time the 704 has shown up in this segment of the show
0: back to you mark and so, I was going to give you uh, just a quick uh, um, Wikipedia definition of floating point, but I can't even understand the first <laughs> sentence of Wikipedia, uh, so I'm not going... To, I, I, I pride myself on being able to take complex concepts and, and give you a, a simple Reader's Digest version. No, not in the 30 seconds Seth allowed me there. Um, floating point is a thing that only computers can do, um, and this it, was the first one to do it.
1: And this is a great week for history stuff. I found several... Things I was like, I'm going to use this one, and then no, I'm going to use this one. No, I'm going to, and then I settled on this one. So the the first part of May, I don't know if it's like year end bonus review or college students finishing up their projects so they can graduate. Um, but this is a great weekend for a History of Computers.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, I believe the 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 term that we use, I hadn't thought about that, Seth. That uh, lots of lots of technology was done by students at universities and schools are about to get out. Um, and have been throughout history. Uh, mm. Wow, interesting thought. Um, but we still use teraflops, which is, or, or flops, which is uh, floating uh, point operations per second. Uh, I think we're up where, uh, I don't know what the high, highest one is right now, two teraflops or something like that, which is like two trillion floating operations per second. Is So that's still what we measure computers in, uh, their speed and their capacity. Um, and 1960 was the day.
2: Like yep. me a fast computer,
0: and uh, uh, one of the things that I was uh, in the Silicon Valley thing was uh, they came out with the 386 processor, uh, <laughs> and it was just that. But I remember back in the day, I remember the big deal of the 386 was, and then then you could get the 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 math coprocessor that went with it. Oh my gosh, you could offload all the math onto a separate processor. It made your machine so much faster. Um, and now you know, my phone is more powerful than those computers. It's way uh, my watch probably is more powerful than those computers. Um, all right. And so, uh, a little early in the show, but again, I, I, I want to let uh, Richie finish this and, and, and you'll be gratified that I did, uh, uh, when you hear uh, how that ended. Um, but, uh, uh, this is the part of the show where I'll tell you how you can contact us. Let us know what you think uh you can go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page uh fill out the world's hardest captcha uh fill out the form there and um and then that gets an email that's sent to me and gets priority in my in basket inbox i I uh, interchangeably use those terms um and you can uh uh, also, uh, send an email to uh, geekrant at com or fi- dial 559-IMOP and leave a voicemail on our Google voice line. All of those ways uh, will be a way that you could uh, appear right here on the show with us, either in text or voice format. Uh, we we like hearing from you. As I've said many times before, this is listener-generated uh, uh, radio, and so what you say matters. Um, and now, Seth, uh, what do you have this week to lower my productivity, thus making you seem like a better hiring option?
1: The Mega Penny Project. Check. Check. So, <laughs> I don't know. This one. I don't I know. Like if the reverb. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Special effects provided uh, by the gooey kid. So anyway, this just tells you like kind of the value of a penny. Uh, it goes up to one quintillion pennies. So if you click on one penny, it shows you kind of how big it is and all that kind of stuff. And if you go next, uh, what sixteen cents is, and then there's how much a thousand pennies, then fifty thousand, and it shows you like how big that would be. And there's like a man beside it for um height so you could get so into this and you're like well how much is that and then you you're gonna have to wikipedia or google this stuff to see if it's true and then your boss will say hey why don't you continue looking that up at home here's a cardboard box for you (laughs) so anyway uh, on your way out the door just email me um set the element op.com uh what do you think mark
0: i I, you are getting more nefarious (laughs) as time goes on (laughs) It's actually
1: very funny
2: this site. I like it.
0: Eventually Seth's link is just going to be to Iwanttobefired.com. <laughs> it's gonna be no I I
1: might I might write some like cryptoware or something.
0: <laughs> the last thing it does is is send you uh, send Seth the work email address of the person who's about to get fired. Right. Uh, good stuff hey I, I hear you have an opening <laughs> we <laughs> haven't posted that job yet how do you know i uh, just you know i know <laughs> <laughs> well if you hire me i'll tell you <laughs> uh all right and so now without further ado R- richie castellano of uh of the of you know I, of the band geek podcast uh, uh yes he's a musician but what he's here to talk about this week is uh, his podcast and his geekness and his love of of all things geeky and uh we hope you enjoyed the uh, uh the interview as much as we enjoyed doing it and we'll see you next week uh, uh because that's it except for the next hour uh for this episode <laughs> of the geek rant now here's richie hey richie first thanks for being with us um it's uh it's always a, a good thing to have a guest on, but uh, when the guest is as notable as you are, it's even better. Uh, so let's just start out with, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, who is Richie, Richie Castellano and, and what makes you so
4: notable? Uh, notable, wow. <laughs> okay, my name is Richie Castellano. I'm a musician from New York. I uh, have a podcast called Band Geek. It's on the Riot Cast Network, and uh, it's about blending my love of nerd culture and music and when I'm not doing that, I am the current touring guitar player and keyboard player in the legendary rock band Blue Oyster Cult. And I wear a lot of other hats besides those two. I'm an active YouTuber, uh, but those are the big ones. I love how I guess you that's put what makes me notable. You put <laughs>
0: podcaster first, rock star second.
4: That's, <laughs> right. that's Awesome. The p- podcasting takes more work, as you know. <laughs> Indeed. It's it's more of a pain. <laughs>
0: Uh, So Miles is one of those uh, uh, interesting guys who every now and then just drops, you know, uh, fascinating things about you like, you know, oh, by the way, you know, I used to arm wrestle with Fidel Castro in (laughs) middle school. Um, And and one of the he 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 knew somebody who knew you. And uh, and this all came about because of a discussion we had a little while back about the the bridging the gap between the artificial and, and and the real. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. we talk specifically about amp modeling, among other things, and uh, that's where you came in and he saw you live and saw you, uh, you know, uh, literally an A-B test alongside a guy who's you using, you know, a bunch of quote unquote real equipment and you using the virtual equipment. And so that's sort of how, how you came to be with us. So talk a little bit about that, you know, um, that part of your musicianship. How do you get to be... Um, uh, to blend the digital and and the artistic in such a way that that this little box at your feet sounds like you know a, a classic cabinet for example
4: um, well I guess first I can give you guys a little backstory onto the why uh, which I think is important. I was raised as a blues guitar player in a house with my a father who's a blues guitar player who has a spectacular tube amp a vintage tube amp collection. Of he has almost every model of 60s Fender, many in pristine condition, and that's really important to him. And some of that rubbed off on me. And even though I wasn't going for some of those uh, classic, like, soulful blues tones, I was going for more hard edge rock stuff, I still liked the tubes. So I went through plenty of iterations of different rigs uh, with based around tube guitar amps. And when I finally started playing with Blue Oyster Cult, and they moved me over to to guitar, which that's another story, Uh, I was using rental gear, and I was using rental Marshalls and Mesa Boogies. And, you know, Marshalls and Mesa Boogies sound great, but not when 500 other people have been beating them up all year long, and they haven't been maintenanced. And then you get these weird amps that sound ratty and broken, and your tone is just crap for the entire show. So I got really tired of this uh, using the rental gear. So I'm thinking, all right, I think it must have been like 2010 or something when I switched. I said, technology has to be getting better now to where I don't have to deal with this anymore. This is ridiculous. I spend most of the sound check just trying to get these terrible amps to sound good. So I actually just took a shot in the dark and I bought a Line 6 Pod HD 500, which was a few hundred bucks. I think it was like under $500, which isn't that bad. And, you know, I sort of looked down on it when I first got it because I said, "Oh, you know, I'm a tube guy, I like real amps." But now I'm forced to use this, you know, it seemed like a toy to me. You know, it's, it and I think the reason and the perception of it being a toy is the price point because it's inexpensive. So when something's inexpensive, you think, "Oh, this can't be good." But you know, I was wrong after it, it took an adjustment period. I, I'd say like six weeks or so or maybe more of me just fidgeting with the thing. I finally started getting some really good tones out of it. And and at first it was like a hybrid. I was using the pod as just a front end uh, with a real power amp and a real cabinet. I brought, I brought a solid state thousand watt power amp with me, uh, Class D. So it was only like eight pounds, which was great for airline travel. And we were using a rental 412 cabinet. And that was great. And after just a refining process, I got it to a point where I really was happy with it. And then every night I just had a very similar sound. And that's what you want when you're touring. But, uh, then the Helix came out, which is, uh, there's, it's funny because line six was the pioneer of this modeling technology there's guitar modeling but when i say modeling if i'm not sure how educated everybody and all your listeners are to what this is uh should i explain what that is it's
0: always best to assume we know nothing
4: okay um so what modeling is you, you okay there's traditional guitar amps you plug into the guitar amp uh, there's tubes or transistors in it that make it go what modeling does is it's digitally capturing this sound so you can take it with you in some sort of digital device, plug your guitar into it, and play through the digitally replicated version of that sound. That's a simple explanation to what modeling is. It's it's capturing the amp uh, in digital, the digital world. Uh, so you don't have to carry this huge amp with you. It's in some sort of box or computer or whatever. So Line 6 really pioneered this technology and had the first decent-sounding gear with their pod, which was like this kidney-shaped big red thing, and it sounded sort of good, uh, but it wasn't as good as the real thing. And they sort of fell behind because other companies like uh, Fractal, who makes a device called the Axe FX, which is really great, or uh, Kemper, which is another great device, a profiling amplifier that you can actually capture your own amps. And there's a company, I think it's from France, called Two Notes, that they all do wonderful, wonderful digital models of these amps. And Line 6 was sort of not really competing in that arena until last year when they introduced this thing called the Helix, which um, was priced competitively, so it was considerably more money than the pod. And it had all the bells and whistles that you could ever want. And with that, it also gave you the ability to load impulse responses, which is a big deal. An impulse response is something that it's, – it's a method of capturing. It's like modeling, but it's something like a modeling procedure that you can do yourself, so, to do an impulse response, you take your favorite speaker cabinet, you, you mic it up, and you send a pulse through it. And sometimes it's like white noise or a um, oscillating wave, like a,
3: uh,
4: and then you mic that up, you record that into the computer. It captures that as an impulse response, and it saves it as like a, a like a second or two wave, a very small file, and you load that into your modeling device. And then you can play through the sound of that cabinet that you just, that speaker cabinet that you just captured. It's really awesome. And Line 6 hadn't done that in a while. So they just added that capability to this. And that was really attractive to me, as well as all the interfacing and user-friendly features and touch-sensitive screens and all this crazy stuff. So I just you know bit the bullet and I bought it. And I was amazed by how much easier it was to program and how quickly I was able to get sounds up and running, and what happened is I liked it so much, I eventually ditched the cabinet, I ditched the power amp, so now when I play, it's my guitar into a wireless, into the Helix, into the PA system, the end, that's it.
0: All right, so let's talk about the, that ease of, of programming. So mm-hmm. you're you're wandering around a pawn shop in upstate New York, and you find this vintage Marshall just sitting there, and you, you think this is the perfect thing. I have to have it. You buy it. You bring it home. How long before plug it in, plugging it in at your home uh, do you have that modeled and ready to go?
4: I don't actually model the stuff myself uh, because uh, if you have something like the Kemper, which I mentioned before, that's a profiling app. That actually – that, that hardware comes with the capability for you to actually model or profile your own amplifier. The the Helix doesn't do that. Okay. They give you like 30 or so amps to choose from, and then you can load your own speaker cabinets. So uh, you you really can't do that with the Helix. I've done that with uh, – I have another device that I use sometimes here called the Two Notes Torpedo Cab, and that allows you to make your own impulse responses. And I've you know sampled one of my own – Amps that that way, but with the Helix, that's it, that's not what it does. Uh, but you have to sort of trust that if there's a sound you want, you can use the tools available to get close to it. So if I have uh, the vintage Marshall and I know I need that sound for something, if I if I you know futs around with the Helix enough, I should be able to get close.
0: All right. So it, it sounds like it must be the the perfect uh, op- option for a traveling musician. You need a, a small flight case, your guitar case, and you got everything you need.
4: Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's great because uh, I understand why a lot of people are hesitant to embrace this technology because I have a background not only as a guitar player, but as an engineer. I went to school for audio engineering. So for me, when I see this toy box with all these you know, pro, uh, EQs and compressors side by side with all the distortion, wah, and echo pedals, like that's fine for me. Like that's that's my whole process. That's my whole signal flow right there. But um, a lot of guitar players are sort of slow to embrace this because for them, it makes more sense to bring a pedal board with some of their favorite analog stomp boxes and plug into a rental Marshall or Fender Deluxe, and that's their sound. And they can. For, for them, all they need is a basic clean sound. And I understand that, and I, I'm, I don't knock that. But for me personally, I just want consistency, especially uh, since we use in-ear monitors. I don't want the microphone to be a factor. I don't want the rental amp to be a factor. I want to hear what I want to hear every night. I want to focus on playing and not on why does this amp not sound good, you know?
2: Hey, Richie, you've got – you. I- I'm um, taking the liberty here of assuming you, you're plugged in right now with a guitar in front of you. Yep. Are you able to give any of our listeners a couple of variations on different tones and sounds that the modeler is able to give?
0: Sure. You just ask a guitar so, player to play guitar. Really? You think he's <laughs> going to say no to that? <laughs> it's all
4: good. Uh, so here's a basic clean sound. Let me see what amp I have loaded here. And,
0: but While you're doing that, is that a Millennium Falcon guitar behind you?
4: Uh, no, it's actually a USS Defiant okay. base uh, made by one of the listeners of our show, a, a gentleman named John Johnston. He has his own wood shop in his garage, and he knows I'm a big fan of Deep Space Nine. Uh, and so he made me this really cool base. It lights up, and the nacelles fire. It's pretty awesome. That's even cooler. <laughs> yeah. I, I also have this in my studio just in case, just to you know balance things out. All right. You have to have Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, Represented. So here's a lightsaber. Good, good. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a model of, or an example of a Fender twin, and I have some compression, chorus, delay. Uh, Here's something with a little more grit to it. This is based on. The famous Dumble amplifier can kick the game up a little bit, throw a little tremolo in there for a vintage sort of thing. Then for more of the hard rock stuff I have a Soldano amp uh, these aren't so these aren't the actual amps but they're what they're based on this is like a very meat and potatoes rock and roll sound that you can play most of the night with and kick up some gain on there and here is my kill sound this is uh, based on I think a PRS Archon
0: i just want to point out to people who may not uh, be musicians may not have spent thousands of hours listening to different amplifiers and, and he's not just uh Changing the effects, not just changing uh, the different m- things that he's doing to the the same sound. He's actually modeling different tones, different uh, physical qualities of different amps. And and those people who recognize those amps will will know how dead on that sound is. But it's it really goes beyond just uh, adding a chorus or adding some distortion or something like that. It's it's completely um, uh, recreating a physical spectrum of equipment.
4: Yeah, and another thing to, to uh, keep. In mind with this, and you know, I get into debates with people on in YouTube comments and all that stuff. Uh, is that this is one example of these amps? Because if you have, if you put three Marshalls in a room, the same model, they're all going to sound different. So they're different examples of these classic tones. And another thing that guitar players usually have trouble with is the sound of their mic'd amplifier. Because a lot of us, you know, me too, when I get my amp, I want to put it on 10, go in my, my studio and just crank it and let the, let the wall shake. But that sound and that feeling you get is a lot different than the feeling or the sound of putting a microphone right up to the speaker. And that's the sound where, with the modeling gear that you're trying to capture is that micro, mic'd up speaker sound.
2: Wow. You know, Mark, you'd said before, I mean, uh, Richie, I'd seen you guys play in San Diego in January. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a casino. I can't remember the place. And what was mind boggling when you're in the audience watching this sort of thing was to see. So just to describe for the listeners, when Blue Oyster Cult play, you've got what, uh, five? No, six players. How many Uh, got five guys? Five guys, I'm sorry. Okay, so you're on, uh, what, stage left? Mm-hmm. No, you're on, well, well, whatever. Sta-
4: stage right.
2: You're on stage right. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at it from the, yeah, anyway, you're on stage right. You've got the legendary Buck Dahmer, Don Rosa, the guitar, the guitarist from the heavens, is on the other side of you, and he's playing pretty much analog, right? Um, he's got a-
4: it, Not 100%. Ah, oh, okay. There's um okay, his, th- th- I also did a video on this on my YouTube channel if you check that out. We, we did a whole gear rundown for everybody in the band. He's all he's mostly analog except for like his um he has all analog stomp boxes. Um he's using the preamp section from a Marshall amp and his effects are digital. I mean his uh, his delays and reverbs are coming from an old uh, Lisa's Quadriverb and his He's not using a cabinet. He's using a two-notes torpedo, the um, the rack version that also acts as a load box for the amp. So the it's mostly analog up until the speaker section that is modeled.
2: Right. Okay. So w- what I noticed from the audience side of things is that his sound feels fairly warm, mm-hmm. and your sound feels far more cultured. Like,
4: and I mean, you can adjust. Specifically to it He, and he always- uses, being the lead guitar player He can He can use um, Sort of one main sound for most of the gig And that's his voice You know what I mean, coming through the guitar right. uh, It's my job to fill in the little cracks So I'm always trying to Change things up Where I can compliment what he's doing And and when I'm not Now look, other sidemen, uh, They have to be in gigs Where they never get spots like lead spots or just some some spotlight time and that's fine but this band is not like that buck is very giving very generous um there's no ego to deal with he he knows he's awesome and he's happy to let the other guys in the band shine so he'll give me a spot but when I'm not taking a solo spot my job is to stay out of his way and it's not it's not like he came up to me one day and said hey kid stay out of my way it's just like I know this that okay he's occupying this sonic spectrum. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be the guy covering up Buck Dharma at a blue oyster cult concert when people came to hear him. So I try to make sure my rhythm sounds have a little bit of a scoop to them just to leave room for his mid-range information. I try to make sure my clean sounds have some sparkle to them because I, you know, like we all want him to occupy the focal point. And I'm and like you noticed I'm trying to just get different colors in the palette there. So I don't step on him, but I still enhance and add something interesting to the, the finished yeah, b- product.
2: But you do much more than that, though, because I I'd noticed, I think in one of your Band Geek podcasts, you'd mentioned that he his output's stereo and your output's mono? Yes. Okay. And that's probably why it felt that way in the audience. Mm-hmm. And having listened to that and sort of looked at it, I, I started realizing that, you know, I've been what been listening to Blue Oyster Cult since I was a kid, and I kind of you know went through all the albums and everything. So I'm you know very obviously a fan, but the lineup constantly changed over the decades, and with with you guys the, the your input the um, Jules on drums and whether it's you know Danny or or Kasim on bass, you've provided them a. Uh, if you like a foundation and lifts them up and that- they are so much more pronounced because of what you guys do underneath them that you've taken a couple of guys who are legends who could have easily been sort of legends in their time and you've retained their position by f- by pushing them up i don't know if you realize how well you've done that but well, i really appreciate astounding. you saying
4: that and that's that's the gig. That's what we try to do. I mean, that's on our minds all the time. Uh, is we want to make not only the song sound good, but whoever is singing the song or playing the lead, like we're we're there to make it as powerful as possible. And and I, I appreciate you saying that because that's something we we work very hard on on doing.
2: Well, I think you also add so much more to it because um you know for the listeners who haven't seen uh, one of your. Uh, shows before they should i mean that's just (laughs) a a given but the second part of it is that you your personal contribution is so strong that it's given a whole new breath of life to that band and it's phenomenal i mean it's absolutely outstanding to see you guys especially when you do songs where you and buck are both sharing a lead like vigil or something like that Mm -hmm. um it's crazy cool. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. So well, I, I got to give you guys props for that. It's brilliant.
4: I appreciate that. I, I, I mean that overall that seems to be the uh, the feeling I'm getting from the people who are big fans of the band, and I I love that. That's great because I'm you know I'm trying to when I get like like I said before right, when I get a spot I'm trying to hit the marks, but when it's when it's time for Buck or Eric to do their thing I'm just trying to be in support mode. So I appreciate that. And I mean, really, it's—I it, mean—it's their gig. It's not my gig, so I'm trying to really focus on them. But there are some people, and I've seen some YouTube comments where it's like, "Why is this idiot taking a solo? I came here to see Buck Tarma. <laughs> <laughs> so I get some of that too. But it's—it's it's mostly positive stuff. I, I can't complain.
0: <laughs> Buck needs to rest a few measures every now and then.
4: Yeah, <laughs> give the guy a break, please. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I want to transition, if I could, into uh, what you what you self uh, proclaimed as your first job your your YouTube slash podcast career. Um, how did which which came first the the chicken or the egg did you did you start uh, as a touring musician who found YouTube did you start as a YouTuber who found touring how did that
4: work I started okay I, when I came out of college I didn't. I had no plans of playing in a rock band at all. I just didn't think it was going to happen for me. I don't look like a rock star, so and that's sort of important. So I didn't see that happening. Uh, So I focused on audio engineering and production and trying to write songs and all that good stuff. And I got involved with Blue Oyster Cult through audio engineering as a sound guy. And then after subbing for them as their front of house sound engineer, I eventually was able to jump in there when they had... Uh, an emergency vacancy on bass, and then I got moved over to guitar and keyboards a few years, years later. Um, so, when I was moved over to guitar and keyboards to replace me on bass, they ended up getting the incredible and legendary Rudy Sarzo, who played with Ozzy, uh, White Snake, Quiet Riot, Dio, to name a few. Uh, and, you know, he's a real rock star, but he's also a very brilliant guy. And He would, While we would all play video games and, and, you know, read whatever, he was always watching tutorials on 3D animation or or trying to learn, like, a new skill. And I admired that. So Rudy gave me probably the best piece of advice anyone's ever given me. And this is a piece of advice that I tell a lot of young musicians, whether they listen to me or not. Uh, We were just talking and he said, oh, you know, do you have a YouTube channel? I said, Oh, uh, I don't think so. No. He says, You don't put v- videos on YouTube? I said, No, I don't. He goes, If you, in this day and age, and I think it was like 2006 or seven or something when he said this to me, he goes, If you don't have a YouTube channel, you don't exist. If you're a musician. Okay. And, I'm, and I, that was really a tough pill to swallow because all of my skills were geared toward sound and audio. And I didn't want to make music videos. I just wanted to make. Songs and and recordings, audio, and you know, on his recommendation, I set up a YouTube account and I started looking through old camcorder recordings and just started dumping stuff on YouTube. And another thing that really got me into all this, I'm <laughs> the 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 name of your podcast is very fitting because I, I'm a big geek. I I've recognized that I'm a geek, and as soon as I sort of came to terms with the fact that I'm a geek, my life got better. Because when you're a geek and you're in denial, that stinks. Because you're trying to be something you're not. And I'm sure we all know someone who's like that. And like, well, you know, you're a giant geek, but you're pretending you're not. You're trying to be cool, and it's just making everything worse. We call those closet uh, geeks. Yeah. yeah, closet geeks. <laughs> I, I have no time for them. So, like, you are you a geek? Be free with your geekdom. But, uh, so... A thing that I did, and this this is all related. This is a weird, long story, so please indulge me. Um, when I joined the band, Eric told me he's like, "Okay, you're in a rock band now. You gotta you gotta try to lose some weight and get in shape." And he said, "I saw a great special on TV about Kung Fu. Maybe you should go do Kung Fu. I know you like martial arts movies and stuff." I said, "Okay, sure." So I went to a local Kung Fu school, and I started studying, and I really liked it, and and I got a lot of my friends involved. So at one point, like 10 of my friends were all going to this Kung Fu school and we were hanging out one day and I said, you know what? Let's go in my backyard and let's film us fighting. Just, you know, I said, we're all taking Kung Fu. We're all badasses. Now we should be able to like, you know, do some cool moves. So I, I, t- <laughs> I looked at the video. I, we recorded this stuff. I looked at the video and I'm like, wow, this is not very cool. It's just kind of pathetic and silly looking. So What I did is I took that and I put poorly dubbed sounds and horrible sound effects on it and I made a story and I made this Kung Fu movie just for me and my friends. And it was very funny and and it was a big goof. And then more people started seeing it, like my friends started sharing it. And they all started saying, I want to be in the next one. So we, we made more and everyone got more and more complicated and more involved and cost more to make. And at this point, we'd made nine of them. And they're called The Tiger's Fang. And Eric Bloom from Blue Oyster Cult is in one of them. Buck Dahmer is in one of them. My wife is, is a character. Uh, that we. A lot of my friends. And it's mostly, I'd say, 90% musicians are the fighters and the actors in, in these movies. So I showed Rudy this, this, this. Believe me, this is all connected. I'm getting there. So I showed Rudy the Kung Fu movie. And he said, that's great. And at one of our gigs the people from Sony creative software were there. And Rudy said, Richie, show them your Kung Fu movie. I'm like, what are you crazy? I'm not showing them that. That's private. <laughs> he said, no, no, show them the movie. So I showed them the movie and they said, This is amazing. Can we repost this on our website? I said, Uh I guess. They said, they said, okay, you need they said, you need better production. Um give give us your address. And they sent me the whole software suite and the sound effects library just to make more Kung Fu movies. So Doing those stupid kung fu movies taught me about filmmaking and and cameras and editing. I learned all that stuff from that stupid project. And then when I I started, I moved my focus back to music again. I did a a video cover version of ABC by the Jackson 5. And I used all of those editing skills I learned to do that. And then I sort of refined it a little more. And then the next video I made was a, a split-screen cover of Bohemian Rhapsody, which, which went viral. And th- my only video to, go, to, do, to have that happen where the counts on YouTube actually get stuck while they verify that they're real. And that's, up, that's over 1.5 million views right now for that video. But it's all connected, all, and that's the thing I try to do. Anytime I pursue a geek passion or hobby – I try to bring it back into music and that's what the whole band geek thing is about is how it's all connected. You know, the kung fu movies, without the kung fu movies, I would never have done the split screen music videos which led to so many other musical things for me and that was really amazing. Uh, the, so really the YouTube stuff came first and the podcast came, I there was a brief time where I was taking, I had a straight job, uh, I was working for American Musical Supply as their product demonstrator, I did that for a, a little over a year, and I had this crazy commute to work. And to pass the time, I started listening to podcasts. And being a ham and, and an egomaniac, I said, "Oh, I can do this." <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I called some people. I got involved with the Riotcast Network because I knew a guy who was who who helps run that, or he who was one of the, the co-founders uh, of that. And he got me set up, and I would I did the podcast and. You know, I didn't know it was for me, but I'm sure you guys know. It takes a while to sort of hit your stride and figure out what your show actually is, because at the at, at you know your first few shows you're copying everybody else's show and you're not sure what you're doing. And now I've sort of just realized that the Band Geek podcast it's it's me and whatever I'm into that week, and everybody seems to be okay with that. So cool.
0: And so, what what I have heard you do uh, repeatedly is is you get uh, what sounds like fifty three people um, in your basement and you play a song. Uh, do, do you have like a TARDIS in the bottom of your house? Is that how that happens?
4: No, it's yeah. Just I
2: was going <laughs> to ask you how many square foot is your basement? It's, it's so it's small. horrible.
4: It, it, I haven't measured it, and I should, but it's it's really. It, it, I live um, I live in the suburbs of Staten Island, and uh, real estate is expensive, and this is the best I could do.
2: <laughs> but you so, get six musicians in there for a band geek.
4: Yeah, we. How, uh, how do you- everybody comes because we use wide-angle lenses on the the cameras, so people come uh-huh. down here and and they go, "Oh," I said, "Yeah, sorry, <laughs> just squeeze over here in the corner and." You know, I I try my best to make everybody comfortable, but it is what it is. And and sometimes people ask me, "Oh, hey, I see you have so and so on the show. Can I come down and hang?" I say, "No, there's <laughs> literally nowhere for you to sit. You can't come <laughs> over. Like we have, it's like a seven person m- limit. That's it. Like after seven people, no one else can come here."
0: Watch it on YouTube, like everybody else.
4: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so you're up to
0: uh, I just checked 112 episodes now. So you've been yep. doing this uh, two or three years, probably. I'm guessing. Um, yes, and so do you feel that uh, that you have hit your stride? That this is the thing that you're going to do for you know the foreseeable future with the Band Geek podcast?
4: I want to. I, I that's a tough question because I do like what we're doing, but I also want to change it to become more YouTube centric because I feel like podcasts are sort of like the golden age of podcasts is behind us, and the people who got in it at the right time. The uh, Mark Maron, Joe Rogan, Nerdist, Kevin Smith's, like all those guys, you know, they're they're established, and also doesn't doesn't hurt that they're famous, right? But um, uh, they're they're the they're at the top. It's hard to approach that with podcasts. Um, and I feel like the majority of my viewers or listeners are experiencing what we're doing through YouTube. So I think in the future. We're probably going to try to shift what we do more toward visual and less towards just like a long form audio thing. But I, this is something I've been talking about for a couple of years and I haven't done it yet. So we'll, we'll see.
0: I've heard a lot of people, like new podcasters, say, you know, how do you get to be a famous podcaster? I say, it's really simple first book I'm famous, then start a yeah. podcast.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it helps. I mean, we're, the numbers are growing and it was sort of depressing when, it, you know, you can probably. You probably know what I mean, but when you first start a a podcast, the numbers are depressing. Like, oh, I thought all these people are going to listen. Um, But it grows slowly. Uh, The key with anything is consistency, and being a touring musician, that's something that's just sort of impossible for me, to be able to do one every single week. But we, we try to be consistent, and we've been doing it. We've been more consistent lately because I'm really trying to just crank them out.
0: Wow, Seth, you haven't said yeah, a word. Do you have any questions? Go, yeah, go
1: um, not really, because like music's not my thing, so I'm just letting y'all Me either. It's handle okay. This one, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> you,
3: no, you guys I, I do have styles. one question. Yeah, no, not, I, I do not, have I'm, one totally question though. Okay with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, about the music, though, do you find that does anybody push back and say I don't like that little thing you're doing? Can you bring your amps on stage? Oh yeah, Are are there any purists out there? Do they give you a lot of grief?
4: Yes, absolutely. I did uh, purists or trolls. I don't know what term you want to use. Uh, (laughs) Almost like one of the same. Uh, Okay, so look, and that's why when I described this earlier, I have to put the disclaimer. I love tube amps. They're great, but I can't use them in this situation. I always have to say that because people – here's what it comes down to. If I post a video talking about how great some sort of digital technology is that replaces a tube amp, there's going to be someone who is a you know blues guitar enthusiast who reads all of the guitar forums, who knows everything about everything, every tube amp who, you know, you have to have a 60-something Les Paul and this Vox AC30 and you have to switch, you know. Okay, great. And, and I have, look, the difference with the two points of view is I think that's great. Like, I think if you have a tube amp, and, and it sounds awesome, and that's getting the results you want. That's awesome. I have absolutely no problem with it, and I'll never go to someone's video who who saying, "Oh, how could you use a tube amp? You should be doing this with a Helix or a, or an Axe Effects." I, I I won't do that. There's no point. But these guys feel compelled to go search out videos uh, that with the modeling tech and and just poop on it. They just I mean, sorry, but that's what it is. Like, and they have to you know publicly do it and make a big deal and. And cause like cause a a situation. For example, uh, I had a gig. It was um, a couple weeks ago, and I had to do all Queen music. So I did. I figured, you know, this is sort of a cool opportunity to do a video uh, showing how I would make Queen sounds with my guitar uh, and and the Helix. Uh, And so I started. And here's what I came up with, by the way. So, sounds pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, um, that's really good. (laughs) uh, And some guy was just like, this sounds like garbage. Uh, You're cheating the audience. How could you do this? And I'm like, dude, I'm flying into this place. I can't bring my stuff with me. You know what I mean? Oh, this is garbage. And he just kept going on. And and everybody else watching the live video was like, dude, we get it. You don't like this. What are you doing here? Mm. You know?" So, I deal with that frequently. Um I don't understand why I have to deal with it all the time, to be honest, because I'm not sitting I'm not sitting there on camera, you know, proclaiming that analog and tube gear is crap. Like I'm just not doing that. I'm saying that it's great, but for certain situations you can't do that. And this is an excellent alternative uh when you can't bring out all your gear. Like I watch these rig rundown videos. Like I saw one on Bon Jovi um and John Shanks is the guitar player now in Bon Jovi, and he has, you know, a rack of five gorgeous tube amps and and studio gear and pedal drawers and thirty guitars with him. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. That's great, but I can't. So this thing is for for not being able to do that and only having a limited amount of uh, space on the carry-on cases that we bring with us on the planes. This thing is rocking my world because it's doing all that stuff. And it's I'm really satisfied with the sound and the feel of it, uh, and and the, the real the really hilarious thing about all of these uh, criticisms is if you think about it because now we're all we're all geeks and tech minded guys here if you think about it a tube amp right so say you go to see Joe Bonamassa who's phenomenal and has the most amazing gear ever right has got this beautiful, pristine example of, let's say, a marshal on stage, right? Okay, let's look at that, though. That's going... It's being mic'd up, right? Okay, great. That's going into a board, and I would guess 90% of the time, that's a digital board. So it's going through a digital converter, right, from the board. Then it's going to, most likely, a digitally controlled amplifier with digital processing, right? It's going through on the front of house, digital EQ, maybe digital effects, right? And then sent to the speakers. So what is the difference between that and what I'm doing? Because at one point at the Helix, there was a real amplifier, it went through a microphone, and then it was digitally processed. So both sounds are going through a digital process. So you mean to tell me that going through that digital process is what makes this wrong? It's... If you think about it, now I'm sure someone who's smarter than me can argue, well, it's not really the same thing, but it kind of is. You're both going through that stage of digital processing, and that's what you're hearing. You're not hearing the, the the stage volume. You're hearing whatever that microphone's picking up and going through the converter. So that's my argument. It's kind of the same thing. You know, If it, then the tech is good enough where it sounds pretty close. So yeah, I was
0: actually going to uh, castigate you just a little bit because you started your entire discussion there uh, conceding the the fact that digital isn't as good as physical. And then you kind of brought it around and said that it's all digital anyway. Uh, but I, I don't think that we uh, we should concede that uh, that point that that you you said, you know, uh, analog is great, but if, 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 I, I don't think you need all those ifs. This is a viable way to produce the sound that you need and it's just a different way than what you like. And, and I don't think that uh, that it's just a, a, a trade-off if you can't get your, your big gear on an airplane.
4: Um, well, f- at, at this point for me, um, just because I have everything so dialed in, um, e- if even if I could bring a bunch of stuff, I'd probably use the Helix, and the Helix would even be part of it. So if I could have a Monster Mega Rig where I had, you know, in my garage back there, I have a, a shelf full of tube amps, I'd probably bring them out and... Have, but have the Helix control everything and have it linked in there. Um, but, you know, you, you sort of – that's the attitude you have to have. And, yes, I, I think the digital stuff does a lot of stuff better than the traditional gear. But you that's the attitude you have to come at it from when, when people feel threatened. Because a lot of people, purists, feel threatened by this stuff. They said, oh, my God, I just spent – you know, I have $20,000 worth of gear in my house – uh, that i've collected over a lifetime and now you're telling me that this $1500 box can do it better screw you you know that's 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 <laughs> the mindset these people are coming from so if you want to win them over the, the you know it, the way to do it is not to say hey this is better you're an idiot it's to say look what you have is great but this works too and and, and this doesn't and and what my point is not that it's better this doesn't invalidate the the real stuff and and or vice versa, the real stuff th- there's things that this can do that that can't do, and the other way around, you know so that's there's room for everybody, but for the convenience factor, for the cost factor, for the lack of maintenance that you, you know you don't have to do ma- you don't have to change tubes out on this thing every year or two, this wins in a lot of arenas
0: yeah, and it's a hundred percent reproducible regardless of temperature and humidity and environmental conditions. Um, right. And, and well, the
4: best thing is, I have all of my presets in a Dropbox. So, if we're in the middle of, you know, whatever, in the Midwest, and something happens, someone spills a beer on my rig, I can go to a store and pick one up and, lo- and be ready to go for showtime again. That's a beautiful thing.
2: Well, the other thing I was going to add to this, I mean, with your recording engineering background, I've never heard of a Line 6 Helix hum <laughs> like an old amp does or cut out. There's never going to be a grounding well, the, problem. You know, <laughs> you don't deal with the, the it's like the the older I mean, look, I have some pretty amazing tube amps myself. Um but I couldn't even imagine carrying them to the sort of gigs that you have to do and let alone that um I wouldn't even want them to be... I mean, they're going to get damaged. They're going to get falling over on planes or in trucks. I mean, there's no way I'd want to want to sacrifice them to the elements like that. Um, you've got a far more practical solution right there, and I don't think, if, if, from my experience, I don't think I saw any reduction in sound quality whatsoever. I was blown away by the way technology has come around.
4: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, the... It- it's it's finally at a point where I think it it sounds just as good, you know, especially in the context of a mix. And I mean, yeah, maybe it doesn't have all the nuances of, of playing an amp in your room, but again, like I said earlier, we're not going for that. We're going for the mic'd up sound. That's the goal because that's what the audience hears. Um, yeah, I it, it, there, are a lot of guitar players I know uh, who do have the, tradi- the, the traditional stuff. They'll look at my rig and they'll be like, I don't know you know, I'm really tired of carrying my amp. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. It's like a back saver after a while. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of great great options. Because now, you, um, Seth asked me before about do I get any grief from purists. Uh, there's a whole other level of grief with this stuff. There are different camps of which modeler is the best. Right. That's a whole other conversation. And that's when you get the real... Nerds to come out and 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 nerd rage is real, man. Uh, and that's the people who <laughs> it's like Axe FX versus Kemper versus uh, Bias. That's a new thing uh, versus Helix and other software things. And these oh, yours sounds better, mine sounds better. I'm like they're all good. You know what I mean? They're all good. You could you could probably download an app for your phone that does guitar sounds, and if you manipulate it the right way, it, you won't be able to tell in a mix. It's just technology's gotten very good with this stuff, and Instead, and the, the thing that amazes me is instead of embracing it, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is crap. I don't want to use this. I'm like, but this is for you. <laughs> this right. is to make your life easier.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> So here's what you do. You get somebody like local to bring up a big, huge double stack of amps and everything, and then you just go up there and you fiddle some knobs and your cable goes behind it to your helix, <laughs> and then everybody's happy. <laughs> You know, you know how long bands have been doing that. 99 like, wouldn't heard, be able to tell.
4: Uh, it, I heard a—I a, shouldn't say the name of the band, but anyway, this band had all you know huge stacks of Marshalls, and then behind them they had the little old school kidney pods going. To, they were—they were just for show. You know how many bands do that? Yeah. They're just the, the amps yeah. on stage. They're just decoration. That's it. It's all. All modeling.
0: Well, I've done some some live recording, certainly not uh, studio uh, stadium venues, uh, but I can tell you, unless you're in a bar, nobody hears that stage mix anyway. You what you hear is what the sound man wants you to hear.
4: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know, with with in ear monitors, it's gotten really good now because you can bring your stage volume way down, and then the front of house guy can actually mix, which is a big difference from how it was maybe 20 years ago.
2: Wow! Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you a YouTube question. Okay. Um, a lot of people on YouTube are doing it to try to get like revenue. They're trying to make a living on YouTube. You've obviously had some big hits on YouTube. Is that viable?
4: No. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> not for me. Um, YouTube, it's it's like pocket change. That's that's what you get from that. Um, the the issue I have is my most popular videos are cover songs, so that's a revenue sharing situation, so you get a percentage of it, not the whole thing, uh, which is fine, and I think that's, look, kudos to YouTube for not taking off everybody's covers, because it's totally within their rights to do that, you know, and there are some, listen, we have over 100 videos on our YouTube, and I'd, I'd say about two or three have gotten taken off because the publisher of them wouldn't allow us to post them on YouTube in the United States, and I can tell you oh. what those songs are. It was the logical song from uh, Supertramp.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, Kisses on my list from Hollow Notes and Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles. Those got those got blocked uh, by YouTube, but everything else, the other hundred songs or so, they're up there f- freely. Uh, YouTube puts an ad on there, and and we collect a little money. But it's not. I mean, the the thing is, my my YouTube channel does okay. But the people who are actually getting steady checks from this are the people who every time they put up a video, it's minimum of a hundred thousand views, and uh, they can crank out three or four of these a week. And when those kinds of people, maybe they can make maybe a thousand dollars or so a month from YouTube. I'm nowhere near that okay my my the way i work youtube um for my own benefit is that it's and i and i think everybody should be doing this my youtube channel is my business card you know it's that's my demo that's my reel anybody who wants to see what i can do go to my youtube channel that's it those are all the things i'm involved in and that leads to other projects for me which i do get paid for so that's that's why i keep doing it you know, if you look at it if you try to look at it as direct revenue from youtube no it's ridiculous it's nothing and that's how like the whole music business is uh people streaming pays next to nothing but it's it, you have to be flexible and and say okay this can lead to something else so i have to keep doing these youtube videos because they're good promotion and it's good to have stuff up there it's just it's good to create content and share it with people so they know what you can do mhm
0: now, Richie, I, well, I, I want to uh, be respectful of your time. I know that you're a busy guy, and we're, we're nearing uh, an hour here. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered? Anything that you wanted to say? Any, any message you wanted to get out or anything?
4: When I heard um, geek in the title, I thought we were going to talk about sci-fi and comic books, and I'm a little bummed that we didn't.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. That'll be next time you come on. Um, what's your favorite Star Wars fan theory about Ray?
4: Oh, okay. My favorite Star Wars fan theory about Rey is that she's Obi Wan's granddaughter. That's my favorite fan theory. All right, and, th- and that oh. there's like that twenty year gap when he's in the desert, and maybe he hooked up, and and that led to something else because that's totally possible. I did the math. I have a chart. <laughs> Brilliant.
2: Now, okay, you went to the you went to a convention recently, right? I did oh man you're hardcore
4: i went to I went to a <laughs> star wars convention uh I'd never been to a convention like that ever in my life and it was it happened during a time when I was off from b o c and it was in a city where my cousin lived so I was like, I have to go to this this is just meant to be i went um it was fun it wasn't exactly my cup of tea, but I'm glad I went it was it was an experience let's put it that way.
0: I went to one con yeah. a, a, a while back. It was in uh, uh, Houston at on the NASA grounds, so it was a different class of of nerds there. Um, oh, a lot yeah. of, a lot of hard science nerds, and I'm telling you. I I have I'm not even in the class of of geeks. The, the, I don't even deserve to call myself a geek. As compared that's how to these I people. felt
4: at the Star Wars convention. Like I went into like, oh, I'm a geek. I'm going to be with my people. And then I saw people really going for it. And I said, oh, I'm not nearly as hardcore <laughs> as I once thought I was. I'm I'm sort of geek light.
2: <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, every time the every year that Comic Con comes around, I'm like, should I go? And then I I weasel out. I get scared of it because I know that I'm going to go there and there's these hardcore geeks. And I'm just going to be going, oh, okay, this is just even too freaky for me. I, so, I've I, got to get ha- out of I here. had
4: an- uh, I have- one of the jokes on my podcast is that I wear the same- costume for halloween every year for the last 17 years or so and uh it's i have an obi-wan kenobi costume that it's every halloween that's what i wear and i had it in my suitcase when i went to celebration and i didn't wear it the first day i said let me just sort of scope things out and i saw like 500 obi-wan kenobis they looked fantastic i said i'm just gonna go ahead and leave that in my suitcase <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna be wearing this and embarrass myself because these guys they have Everything perfect. They have the perfect material. Everything's cut to spec. They have the food pellets, the utility package um, pouches on their belt. They have the regulation boots, and I'm like, I'm I'm small potatoes. I'm an amateur. I can't can do it.
0: In my limited experience <laughs> with that, though, is is the guy. Wearing a, an Iron Man suit made out of styrofoam and cardboard uh, will get some great compliment from this dude wearing this uh, screen-perfect representation saying, hey, that's nice work, man, because they, they really want to encourage people uh, instead of discourage. At least that's been my experience. So if you oh, had worn every- the, the the Obi-Wan light, I think you probably would have been felt right at home.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know when you, it just sort of deflated me because i also like oh i got this cool obi-wan costume i'm at a star wars convention how many of those am i going to see probably not nice. too many but it's just it was the the sheer amount i said yeah I, i'm not going to be adding yeah. anything to this by wearing this uh, this getup so all the it, obi-wans please
0: take stage like all the obi-wans yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh well we this show we talk about uh anything from from uh, politics to religion to to news uh, uh tech news to whatever and today mm-hmm. it happened to be music uh the next time you come back i promise i won't mention music at all
4: about no that. it's okay i'm just kidding about that I, <laughs> I like talking about music but uh uh you know i i wear my uh my fandom on my sleeve a lot of the time so that's I, you know, I'm I know. very oh. happy to talk about music, especially the tech about it. Oh, one thing you know, we should talk about really quick is this guitar because I'm playing it. Um, I was
0: actually going to talk about that. So, t- this no.
4: is a Line Six Variax guitar, and this is very, very cool. So, check this out. Um, does anybody, um, Miles, you play guitar? Yeah. Is anybody yeah. else a guitar player here?
0: I'm a bass player.
4: Okay, well th- this this will apply to you too. So, check this out. So I have my sound here. And say I'm playing, playing a song, right? And the singer tells me, ah, too high for me. Using this Variax guitar, I can do. I can transpose the entire guitar down a whole step, a half step, a whole step. It's brilliant. I also have different times, kinds of uh, tones I could use. I can switch that's, this, say, to a... That's because 12- in the
0: truest sense, that's not a real guitar. It's a no. It's a synthesizer. It's a, it's a digital processing device that looks like a guitar. Yes, they call like it a, a modeling guitar. guitar. Yeah.
4: <laughs> got my 12-string. I got my acoustic sounds, too. I'll show you some of those. I bet
0: there's a flute in there somewhere.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um... Or if you want to go really crazy, you can go, um, um, where is this?
3: I'm
4: sorry. Got the sitar. There's a banjo in here somewhere. Of course, now I can't get to it. Great. Anyway. <laughs>
3: You're
4: just Can you play bass on it as well? I can't find the banjo. Got a dobro. Go.
2: <laughs> can, can you play, can, hey, Richie, can you play bass on it as well?
4: You can, um, you can, you can transpose this down in octave. Uh, I don't think I have that set up and ready to go. I'd have to program that. Um. Oh, maybe, hold on, let me see something here. Oh, there
3: you
4: go. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mm. Yeah, (laughs) There's sort of a cognitive dissonance going on That I'm watching you play a guitar I'm hearing you play a bass It's weird
4: (laughs) Yeah, this is a cool thing This is a modeling guitar Um, It has traditional pickups in it That I can activate when I want to But it also has um, these piezo saddles That go to a computer on board And you can model strats, tellies, Les Pauls, Rickenbackers uh, Hollow bodies, gretches, jazz boxes Acoustic guitars, 12 strings uh, Sitar, dobro uh, banjo, and and more.
0: And then when you don't have any of that, you can plug it into just a regular amp. Out of the, yeah, it's with got the a regular, regular... I mean, right yeah.
4: now I'm plugged in Ethernet because uh, that's providing power, but it also has a quarter-inch jack that you can plug into a regular amp. Uh, this is not my main guitar, but this is something I use quite a lot in the studio, especially for the band geek stuff when I have to get, you know, wacky sounds or do some crazy switching. I do bring this out every once in a while to a Blue Oyster Cult gig, and they love it because all of a sudden they'll hear... In, you know, we play all electric all the time, but sometimes when I bring this, I'll play the acoustic parts to the songs and, and Buck will look at me and his, his whole face will light up like, oh, it's awesome, you know. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's a nice uh, – I think every guitar player should have a Variax, absolutely, because, you know, this, this fills in all of the gaps that you might have in your traditional guitar collection.
0: And they're not terribly expensive as far as guitars go.
4: Nope, I think it's what like eight hundred bucks yeah, or something. Eight
0: hundred-ish. Oh, that's all right.
4: That's cheap. I yep. think so. Yeah. This yep. is and this one. This is the cheap one. This is the Variac standard, um, and I have one of the more expensive ones, and I actually like this one better because I like the neck better. And this is essentially a Yamaha Pacifica guitar, uh, just with the Line Six guts, and I changed the magnetics to Demarzios because I am a big fan of Demarzio pickups. Normally, Sweet. I use. Uh, I should say this while I am on this. Normally, I use Ernie Ball guitars. I have. Uh, a nice collection of those behind me. And those are awesome. My main guitar is a uh, Ernie Ball Axis in a custom color called Slime Burst, which I love. And uh, oh, another thing, another shout out I got to give. Um, right now, you're listening to me on an Audio-Technica microphone. Please check out Audio-Technica. They're the greatest.
0: Uh, Seth is using Fair an Audio-Technica. Uh, Miles, aren't
4: you yep. as
2: well? No, oh, okay. I'm I'm on a ride. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay.
4: I'm, I'm a big fan of Audio-Technica. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been using them ever since I got my first recording gear when I was like 12. And I, I had an only mic I had was an Audio-Technica mic and when I started doing this professionally, I just stuck with them and I'm a fan, I'm a fan of uh their products and and more importantly, uh what they offer for the affordable price range cuz a lot of audio companies, the high-end microphone companies, you can't touch anything they use for under $1000. Like anything they anything good for under $1000, but in that like you know, under thousand dollar, three hundred to eight hundred dollar range. Audio Technica makes some really nice sounding, incredible stuff.
0: All right, this is the the question I always ask everybody at the end of the interview. If if nobody hears anything but the last the, the next thirty seconds of what you say, what's the one message that you wish everybody would hear from you? Hmm.
4: Okay, the message I want everybody to hear from me is make sure you support the music you like. If you like a band. Buy their album. That's the best thing you can do. And when they come around, go see them live because that's what allows them to keep doing it. So support the music you like and don't support the music you don't like so you don't have to hear it anymore. But uh, <laughs> take, you know, make sure make sure you provide financial support and it's only like 10 bucks usually for an album and get it. I know it's easy to get it on YouTube or on Spotify, but it really helps the artist when you do that. And uh, yeah, and... That's basically it and may the force be with everybody.
0: <laughs> that's been a running theme of this show for a long time. Pay for what you like. Um, yeah, you know. that's,
4: yeah, I mean, that's the most important thing because we've we've killed our own art industry, which is crazy, you know? And I I was teaching for a while, for about 10 years I was teaching guitar students, young people, and they'd say, "Oh, I want like my favorite band is say Avenged Sevenfold, right?" They said, "I want to learn an Avenged Sevenfold song." I'm like, "Okay, you know, pull up the album on your iPod or whatever." And they'd be like, "Oh no, just listen to it on YouTube." I say, "Wait, this is your favorite band, and you listen to them on YouTube. Do you realize how stupid that is? You know, when when they stop making records, you're going to be sad. And and they stop making them because you didn't pay for it. (laughs) So yeah, pay pay for pay for stuff if you like it. You know, if you really like something, make sure that that's the best way to show your support. But you know what? That carries over anything. You like something, give that something money." And it doesn't have to be a lot. You don't have to say, "Oh, I have to give Avenged Seven full five hundred dollars." No, you can give them ten bucks for their album, and and it, it'll it makes a difference.
0: Well said, hey, Richie. Could I impose upon you to play us out?
4: Yeah. Uh, what do you want? <laughs> Whatever you want to play, man. Okay, hold on. Let me get my sound. Uh... <laughs> That's perfect. That okay. couldn't have asked for anything better. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on.